Welcome to the Anchor Church Podcast. To learn more about Anchor Church or to hear the entire message, go to www.anchorchurch.life. During this Advent season, we celebrate hope, peace, joy, love, and the arrival of Jesus. Join us for A Thrill of Hope. Justin already introduced me, um, but for those of you who, this is your first time, I'm not the normal one. So if you don't like it, come back next week. Justin's gonna do a much better job. I also said it this morning, I kinda joke, but you know, this Sunday is historically, typically the lowest attended Sunday of the year. And that's why Justin gave me this week. So thanks for showing up today. Thanks for being here, building my ego up a little bit. We're gonna talk a little bit this morning as we look into the new year. How many of you have, let's ask this, how many of you are New Year's resolution makers? These lights, man, they kill me. I don't know how you do it, but I'll say that a lot. It's weird. Not very many New Year's resolution makers. So how many of you are, I feel like this is kind of a newer thing. You choose a word for the year. Some of you, you choose like a word. I've heard that. Nobody, oh, we had one, we had one. So I read about that a little bit, and it's, it's, uh, it used to be a lot more common for people to do New Year's resolutions, and um, the reason it's not is because of failure. People don't pick them because they're like, I just feel bad, you know, I set this goal. Maybe some of you, you're like, well, I don't set them because in 2015 I set a goal, and in 2016 my goal was to meet the goal that I set in 2015, and so on and so forth. And so it's not a typical thing. Another reason I think that we, um, we find ourselves in that, we don't want to really set something, because a lot of times we, we're holding on to what we're still experiencing. We're holding on to our past, which sometimes is a great thing. We're so stuck on this great thing that happened, often we miss the next great thing that God wants to do. Or sometimes we're so stuck in this cycle of, this was a tough year and it's not over. It's not over, so I can't move on. And I want to talk about that a little bit today. Um, when we look at, when we look at the new year, we kind of think, um, we, we kind of fall in two different camps. I think some of us, how many of you you would raise your hand and say, I can't wait for the new year to start. I can't wait to say goodbye to 2018. Okay. Put your hands on. How many of you are like, I'm not quite ready for 2019. I'm, I kind of liked 2018 and I don't mind it being the way that it was. So you kind of have different things, but I think we all find ourselves sometimes in some season, whether it's moving into this new year or just a season in our life, where we don't know how to move on to this next season. Um, we may say, I know God wants what's best for me, but I have doubts that I can actually make it through what I'm currently going through, much less what's going to come. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we all deal with doubts at times. Maybe if you're a student in the room, you doubt your teacher. You doubt they should have given you that assignment over the weekend. Uh, Maybe you doubt your parents. Uh, Maybe you doubt your children. You doubt your bosses. Uh, Maybe you doubt the government. Um, There's a lot of different ways that we doubt. And I really think we don't want to admit it in a place like this, but we have all had doubts about God. Maybe sitting, you know, maybe it's in silence that you're like, you know, God, I don't, 
I don't know why you're doing this. I doubt you can get me through this. I doubt you can pull me through this. Or some of you may say, no, I always have faith. And I, that's not true. If you're saying that, go ahead and just stop telling yourself that lie. There's a point in your, in your life where you either have doubted or you are going to doubt. I think that there's moments where we can admit that maybe we don't say it out loud, but we'll look at God and be like, really? Like, are you really doing this to me? How many of you, like right now, you're like, I've been saying it all morning. I've been saying it all week, all month, all year. Like, what are you doing, God? And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to examine the doubt that we have in our lives. So maybe you're not ready to face it, but we're going to face it a little bit today. Um, I'm not going to promise you that this message is going to make your doubts go away. I'm not going to say I have some magical spell that all of a sudden you leave here and everything is perfect and you're not worried about anything, but we are going to learn how to better deal with doubts that we might have. Um, Today, we're going to talk about a specific doubt that I think that you can apply to something that you have gone through, that you are going through, that you will go through. And it's, I doubt I'm going to be able to make it through this. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you have said that about something? I doubt that I am able to make it through this. Maybe right now you're looking at the new year and you have circumstances that cause you to have this doubt moving into 2019. Maybe you're going through something right now and you're, you're saying, I don't even know if I can make it through a week, through one more week of this, because I'm in a storm right now that I can't, I can't see the other side of it. I'm experiencing something. Maybe it's, you're not in that and you're like, everything's good right now. But the reality is you're going to get to a place where you are going to say, I can't get through this. I don't know how I'm going to make it through this next step. I'm going to pray before we get started into the message. If you bow your heads, dear Lord, I just thank you so much for the opportunity, Lord, to speak today. And as Justin already prayed, I'm going to pray it for myself, Lord, that you would empty me right now and fill me up with you. May I say nothing that I want to say, but I say everything that you want me to say. And I pray maybe for the person in this room today who needs this the most, who needs the encouragement that you are greater than anything that we're going through. May that not just be something that we say or that we read on the screen, Lord, but it would be something that we believe in our lives, Lord. And it's hard for us to let go of that control and give it to you, even though we, we might know in our head that you're bigger than what, you're, what we're going through, Lord. I pray that you would help us to have the ability to do that today and give it to you, Lord. We thank you so much for what you've done and what you'll do. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. So how many of you are motion sick people? Like you ride in, like we're about to drive to the Georgia mountains and I'm dreading it because when we get to the mountains, I can't. Justin's like, just look straight. Just look ahead. Just look ahead. And I don't want to drive. I wouldn't get sick if I was driving, but I'm not good driving in the mountains when I don't know where I'm going. So how many of you like you can relate? Maybe you get seasick, uh, maybe on an airplane, you're like that. You have to have one of those bags. You know, you're one of those people. I'm that. And I didn't, as I've gotten older, like even like going on roller coasters and stuff, I never used to get sick. Now I'm like, oh, I just don't feel good. I remember my senior year, I went on a cruise with a, with a group of friends and it got rocky out there. Uh, it got rough and we didn't get to go to the port or whatever. And I was sick as a dog. So here I am, 17, 17 or 18 years old, and I am sick. And I'm not just sick. I'm sick without my mom, right? Like it stinks to be sick alone. So when you're sick, you need, you need some space, right? You know what the bathrooms are like in a cruise ship and an airplane, right? You need some space. You, you can't. You can't do it. And I remember I would just pray. Maybe you've, you've prayed a prayer like this, like, God, if you'll just let me feel better, I, I'll never sin again. I'll give you all my money. I'll never miss church. I'll, whatever you want me to do. Like I was making deals with God at that point. Like I got to get through this. Like we are not stopping anytime soon. And this cannot continue. All my friends, like nobody's around because I'm sick. Who wants to be around the sick girl on the cruise ship? 
So I'm praying and I like start to feel better. I'm like, you got me, God, you heard me. And then, then it came again and um, it continued and continued. And I felt like at that point, I was not going to make it. I could not get through another minute. And right now I can sit back and I can tell that story and I can laugh about it. And maybe for you, you have stories like that where you can laugh about it. That was a storm, but maybe your storm is not something you can laugh about. Maybe it's something that you're sitting there and you're like, it's, there's nothing funny about it. There's nothing I can sit back and, and look at it and learn from because I'm, I'm struggling. Maybe for you, you're single. And singleness has become a storm in your life. And if one more person tells you you need to learn how to be content, you're going to rip their eyeballs out of their head with your bare hands, right? Like quit it. Because it's not the fact that you're single. It's the fact that you're lonely. And that has become a storm in your life. Maybe for you, it's not the fact that you're single. It's the fact that you're married, right? And you're currently going through like a category five hurricane. You're holding on for dear life to each other, but that's just to get a better grip, right? You're, you're doing everything you can. So maybe for you, marriage is that storm that you're going through. I'm going to, I'm going to bet, I shouldn't bet, right? I'm going to, I'm going to say that in this room, I bet there's some of you who that's a struggle. Your marriage maybe is hanging by a thread and you're like, I don't know what to do. This is a storm and I don't even, I don't even know where to begin. So I don't even try. I'm just going through every day hoping, am I holding on tight enough? What, what, what can we do? Maybe for you, your job, um, you have a storm in your career. Maybe it's a storm in your finances. Maybe you're dealing with stress and anxiety. Maybe there's fears that you have. And I don't know what your storm is that you're going through, but everybody I think is going through something. Justin talked about a story, which I'm going to talk about today. He's talked about it a couple times. It's kind of one of those just favorites. But I'm going to take it from a little bit of a different angle. And I'm going to tell you one sentence. It's going to be on the screen in just a second. But I, if, if you hear me, like if you want to stop listening to me from this point because you're already bored, then just hear this one thing. If you'll just hear this one thing and let it sink in for you, it is this. The one who is in you is greater than what you are going through. The one who is in you is greater than what you are going through. And you might go, that didn't help me. That didn't help me anyway. Well, you're right, because that statement isn't going to change your circumstances. It's not going to make your storm go away. But maybe God is not trying to change your circumstance. Maybe God is trying to change you. And sometimes that's hard for us to swallow. Like, what? Are you kidding me right now? I'm supposed to be going through this? I didn't say that. What I said was, maybe what you're asking for is God to just take the circumstance, take the storm away, but maybe the process of that circumstance is what he's using to try to change you. The one who is in you is greater than what you are going through. Now, that statement is only true if you're a Christian. There's some people I would bet in this room, and I'm really glad you're here, that you're not a Christian. And the only thing that's inside of you is you. And you're not going to be strong enough to sustain this life. You need Jesus, and, I, and we'll talk about that later on in the service about how to have a relationship with Jesus, but if you're a Christian and Christ lives in you, then he is bigger, he is greater than what you're going through. So maybe you've got that in your head a little bit. Maybe you didn't have to know, you didn't have to think about this storm. Maybe you deal with it every single day of your life, but you have something in you. Um, we're going to look at this passage, it's in Matthew 14, I'm going to I'm making it hard for them back there because I'm jumping around in this passage. So they're going to do the best they can, but I will read the verses really clear so you can get it. Um, 
But we're going to look at Matthew chapter 14. And there's four accounts in the New Testament about the life of Jesus. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I, I like Matthew a lot. We start out with Matthew. Um, Matthew is the only one who gives his conversion account. He writes about that in Matthew chapter 9. But if we look at chapter 14, this is a place where Jesus had just finished feeding the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. And maybe you're familiar with that story. Maybe you're not. Basically, he basically takes a happy meal and he feeds a whole lot of people. So Jesus did that. So that's where we're going to pick up in verse 22. Um, and it says here, and immediately, now when he says immediately, that literally means immediately after he fed those 5,000. Immediately after that happy meal became a lot of food, this is where he was. It says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So the couple of things that are interesting here is this. Jesus didn't ask the disciples. He made them. He didn't say, come on, guys, you guys want to, he's like, no, let's go, Peter, come on, let's go, you guys, let's go, Peter, John, go over there, go to the other side and get on the boat. And you might say, well, why did, why did Jesus make them do that? And I think there's a simple explanation of that. And first of all, it's this, at that time and in that place, Jesus was like a rock star. He had literally just fed all these people, like everybody that was around, like they knew who Jesus was. And the disciples, right, they were the like roadies. They were the crew. They, maybe they weren't the rock stars, but they were the closest one to the rock star. And sometimes when you're in that place, you kind of get lost into, um, into the attention that you're receiving, right? You, you, you get prideful, you get arrogant. And I believe Jesus was trying to protect them from that place so that it didn't dominate them. He says to them, I have a better plan for you. I don't want you to have attention. I don't want you to get attention. But what I want is I want you to go get on the boat and get out ahead of me to the other side. The second thing that's implied in this verse, it doesn't clearly say it, is that he's going to join them later. He's basically saying, okay, we're here now. There's where we're going to go. I want you guys to go. And in a little while, I'm going to join you. I'm going to be there with you. So those two things, it's important to hear that from, from verse 22. Would you agree that Jesus knows everything? Yes, I'm going to ask you to crowd participate with me. So we know that Jesus knows everything. He's not limited by anything. He's not limited by time. So when he sends the disciples out to that boat to the other side, do you think Jesus knew that he was going to be sending his disciples to experience a storm? Yes or no? Yes. So I'm going to do something here. Maybe, maybe you're in this camp, but I'm going to set you free from kind of some ridiculous thinking in Christian circles, as I would like to call it. Um, some people will say, well, if you accept Jesus, everything's going to be perfect. You're never going to have any problems. Nothing bad's ever going to happen. Your kids will make straight A's. Your pets are always going to be healthy. You'll always have a great job. You'll wake up every morning and you'll sing zippity-doo-dah, whatever that looks like. Well, that's a lie. That, that is not true. And so don't get caught up in that. Well, listen, I, can't, I started going to church and I started a relationship with Jesus and now my life is just crazy. I thought it was going to be perfect. It's not going to be perfect. And he never said that. The reality is that as a follower of Christ, there's going to be some days that really suck. I probably shouldn't have said that, that really stink. It's a strong word, but it's a true word. Because the reality is how can we conclude that following Jesus is always going to be easy when the one we're following went to the cross? How can we think that it's going to be easy when the guy that we followed, he experienced the worst death, the most non-deserved death on the cross? So there's going to be days that are tough for you following Jesus, but at the end of the day, if he's in us, then he's greater than anything that the world throws at us. He's bigger than all of that. 
We're going to look at verse 23. It says, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. That night he was there alone. So just a second. He puts the disciples on a boat, right? And he says, I'm going to go join you. But does this verse tell us he, he went and joined them? No. He didn't join them. He went on a hike. He put on his backpack. He strapped on his boots. All the while, which we're going to see in just a second, the disciples are going through this crazy storm. And Jesus decides, I'm going to go up a mountain by myself and I'm going to pray. Verse 24 says, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So if we look at the disciples and we look at Jesus, we see two very different situations. Jesus is praying on the mountain. I would call that kind of a peaceful situation, right? And the, the disciples are experiencing the opposite of peace because they are in this storm. So I want you to know this first thing if you want to write it down. Jesus's peace is greater than my problems. Jesus's peace is greater than my problems. Maybe you've seen this before and you've questioned this, but you see these people that looks like they're going through impossible situations, yet they still seem to have unwavering faith. How do they do it? You're like, I don't know. That is not me. Trust me. I'm not that person. You would never think I have unwavering faith. But it's because Jesus promised his peace in John 14, 27, and that it would be greater than what the world gives. It says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So we see that Jesus is at peace up on the mountain while the disciples are in the storm. So I'm going to kind of translate what's happening here when we go back here to Matthew 14. So these guys were in the middle of the storm. Jesus is up praying in the mountain by himself. And something I, I'm thinking about here is, this week I was kind of thinking about it, is that don't we love people more when they do what we want them to do? What we ask them to do? We love them more. Um, I was in Publix the week before Christmas last week, whatever, time is in a weird place right now. Um, I don't go to Publix much. We're shipped people. It has changed our lives. If you're not a ship person, I'll give you a code and you should try that. Um, but another reason why I'm not is because I will go there for one thing and leave with seven things and not even the one I went in with. How many of you, like, you can relate? And, like, I'm like, oh, I go to the cereal aisle and I'm like, oh, all these cereals. And then we throw them all away because they're old. Like, that's, that's kind of my story. But I'm there and I'm there with everybody who like last minute forgot their butter or whatever the thing is that they need. And there are not enough lines open, first of all, never. There's never enough lines open. But this lane opens up and I'm like booking it. Like, okay, I have, I have things to do. And as I'm walking, I see this elderly lady also making her way to that line. And my heart was not so pure. And I'm like, if she, if she dares get in front of me, like, no, I have got things to do. I've got to get there. So she's coming and she's got this little smile on her face. And I'm like, Stop smiling, because I swear if you get in front of me. So we get over there, and she goes right around me. She doesn't even go there. And so I'm thinking to myself, oh, she is so sweet. She must love the Lord. I'm sure she goes to church all the time. Like, but how different my perspective would be about her had she gotten in front of me. I wouldn't have been saying, oh, she's so sweet. I would have been like, this is the worst person ever. Who is she? She has got nothing to do. She's an old lady. She's got nothing. You know, I have things to do. My kids are at home screaming. Who even knows what's happening? But our perspective changes because it's easy to love people when they do what we want them to do. And she did what I wanted her to do. Don't you love it when your kids do what you want them to do? We're in a little bit of a phase with Jilly right now where she hates to go to bed. 
And she is the master staller, like straight up. You hear her little pitter-patter feet. We have a little rolling pocket door, and you'll hear it open. Me and Justin are sitting on the couch, and she comes out. I just needed to ask you guys one thing. You know, I just have to tell you this one thing. She'll come over, and Justin's like, go to bed. And she's like, I just had to tell mommy, not you, daddy. You know, so she comes, and I just, I really need a couple ice cubes in my water because I think my water's old. Like, everything. She'll go back to bed, right? Then again, you hear her come out. And we're like, go to bed. Well, I, um, I just want, I didn't you tell you guys I love you? I mean, it's everything, right? I need another book. Can you rub my back? I got to go potty, you know, like all these things. And, and the things she needed to tell us about for tomorrow, right? So at some point we're sitting there like, okay, God, can you just give us one night? If, if you'll give us one night, I will buy you any toy. Just go to bed. Like do what you got to do. Go to bed. And we have, um, we like to call them purple pills. We give her melatonin sometimes because that's necessary for her. And she'll go, well, I just need a purple pill, you know? And I'm like, go get a purple pill and go to bed. But don't we like it when our kids do what they do? What about our spouses? I'm not even going to go there. But we like it when they do what we want them to do. And I'm going to take it to another level. Don't we love it most when God does what we want him to do? It's okay to admit it. I do. I like when God does what I want him to do. There's been a few times in my life where maybe I have prayed for something and like in 10 or 15 minutes it's happened. It's very, very few times. But I'm like, yes, God I'm like, lucky girl, I got this. But that doesn't always happen. And when God does not do what we want him to do, we, we tend to doubt his love. We tend to doubt his presence. We tend to doubt his compassion in our lives. We tend to have major doubt when he doesn't do what we want him to do. But, but if he lets us get through a storm, that's when we trust him the most. But when we're having those storms in our life, we are experiencing more doubt from God than any other time. And some of you right now are in the middle of a storm. And that doubt is high. And you're like, I I don't even want to listen to you because you have no idea. I don't. I have no idea. But I do know the God that's bigger than everything that you're going through. I'll show you a picture right here. um, And if we can get the picture. So this is a picture... um, in Israel, and it's of the mountain that most people believe that Jesus would have been on that night when he hiked up that mountain and he was praying. It's called Mount Arbel. And at the very top, that highest peak is where, where Jesus would have been. And if you look there through that valley, that's the Sea of Galilee, that's where the wind came through, which is what pushed the disciples out onto the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus would have climbed this mountain and been this area right here, And if you look here, this is the highest peak, right? This is the highest point on the Sea of Galilee. And from this part of the mountain, you could see the entire Sea of Galilee. What that means here is that even when the disciples were in the middle of the storm, they were always in the sight of Jesus. Jesus always sees us in our storm. Maybe he wasn't on the boat with them. Maybe he wasn't on the shore, but he could see the storm the entire time. But Satan tries to tell us otherwise, that he can't see us. Uh, He's not, he doesn't care about you. He's letting you go through this. He doesn't care about you. And the second thing I want to tell you is that God's truth that he sees us, that's greater than the enemy's lies. See, Jesus himself said that the enemy is the father of lies in John 8, 44. 
And one of the largest lies that we're tempted with and to believe in a storm is that Jesus must not care for us. How could he allow us to go through this if he cares about us? John 8, says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of lies. But we're reminded beyond that in 1 Peter 5, 7, that we can cast all our cares on him. It says, cast all your anxiety, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. I think about this as maybe a time when, let's say I'm at the park or maybe you go to like water parks or you're at the field or something with your kids and maybe on a playground and you're not, you're not right there with them. You're maybe sitting off to the side and I can think about, about times where maybe my kids have been playing in the park and I'm watching them. I see them doing something that obviously they think is really cool because they've been doing it for 20 minutes straight. And I'm like, what's that weird move that they're doing? They're doing that move. And then they, they run over and they say, mommy, 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 watch this cool thing. Watch me do this thing. Watch me, you know, going on and on and on. And it's like, I'm sitting back saying, I've been watching you. I never stopped watching you. I've been watching you for the last 20 minutes do this thing that you're doing. And I believe that is what, what Christ has to tell us sometimes when we don't think. They didn't think I saw them. They didn't think I could see what they were doing. And I think that's an easy place to lose sight of God in the storm is that we don't believe he actually sees what we're going through. Let's look further into verse 25. It says, shortly before dawn, so he let him stay out there for a little bit. This doesn't say immediately he went down off the mountain and got him real quick and saved him from the storm. No, it says shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. So I think with this, we could say that Jesus is the original storm chaser. The storm is going on and Jesus, he goes out to them. And we see in the picture a minute ago, how high Jesus was. And so what did he have to do to get to the disciples, right? He had to come down. He had to go down to where they were. And I believe that symbolism for, for humbling himself. The Bible says in Philippians 2 that he humbled his, himself and became obedient unto death. He humbled himself enough not to run from the storm, but to walk to them in their storm. And though he didn't get there when they said he should get there, he was always on his way there, even when they couldn't see him. Because he's that original storm chaser and he's coming towards you in the middle of a storm. He may not be there when you want him to get there, but I can assure you that he is never late. If you're a parent, you can relate probably to a story like this. We used to live um, in a two-story house, and I remember when Jilly was little, we put her in bed. It's always Jilly with the sleeping. Davis is like the dream kid on sleeping, not Jilly. And I remember one night, me and Justin had just sat down. We, we put them to bed, and um, we're sitting down watching TV, and we hear this blood-curdling scream. Like, your kids have two screams, right? One scream where you can let it go. You know, it's not too bad. They don't need you. But then that second one, it's like, I got to move as fast as I can get there. There's something wrong. She is screaming after only being up there for about 10 minutes. And I remember like, that was the fastest I had ever seen Justin move. Like he was, he was up and he was, he used to trip on our stairs. He's a little bit clumsy. I'm telling the stories I told him I was going to, like, I would hear do, 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 do. And I'm like, are you okay? I'm good. I just fell. Like he like, jumped up all the stairs at once that night. And I remember we got up there and, and found what it was and, and everything was okay. But I remember that we moved so quickly 
And if it had been a different cry, we might not have moved so quickly. We, we might have had this discernment as a parent that said, I, I can let that one go. And sometimes we may feel like when we're in the middle of a storm, we don't think God sees us, but I, I believe that he is on his way the whole time. When we have that blood curdling scream, that the only thing that can fix it is God. I believe from the moment we scream, he is moving toward us the whole time. And in Jilly's mind, we didn't get there fast enough, but the minute it happened, we were moving towards her. We never stopped moving towards her. I believe that this morning when you woke up, God took a step toward you. I believe when you leave today, God's going to take another step towards you. And tomorrow when you wake up, he's going to continue to take a step towards you because the one who is in you is greater than anything that you're going through. And he is not going to leave you alone ever during a storm. So in this story, um, they're walking, we're going to get to this point where they're walking on a lake. How many of you have ever tried that before? Tried walking on water? So I, we had a pool growing up, and we did. We put little swimmy things on our ankles. I don't really know why that would make us, but, like, we did it. And I remember there's four kids in my family, and we all did it. But when my youngest brother did it, like, he fell back and hit his head. It became this thing. Like, we were all like, oh, let's try this walk on water. Um, and so, obviously, it didn't work. We, we got wet. We fell. We, we, we didn't succeed in that area. Um, and when the disciples saw Jesus walking on the lake, they were terrified. And they were terrified because Jesus showed up in a way they did not expect to see him. Because the reality is you can't fit Jesus into this schedule or this system or this structure. And he's not going to do things exactly the way we see fit, which is a little bit hard for us ladies, us control freaks, right? Jesus is supposed to be here and here's how it's going to happen. And if he could get here then it would be really great because we have this thing and it would help, you know, all those things. But he does not fit in our categories. When Jesus shows up, it's often in a way that we don't expect to see him. See, they're not expecting Jesus to walk on the lake. And so it says that they were terrified. And I believe terrified there is Greek for they messed their pants. They were like, what, what is this? Like, who is this person that is walking to us? And, and they cried out, it's a ghost. It's a ghost coming out to us. They cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. A truth for you to remember is that Jesus always speaks in the storm. Jesus is always speaking in the storm. I believe we have to look at storms as not our opportunity to speak to God, but as an opportunity to be silent so that we can hear him speaking to us. And when we have storm going around us, there's already a lot of noise. We don't need to add to that noise. We need to be silent so we can hear his voice. Maybe if there's no storm in your life, I know for me, when, I'm going, when things seem good, I kind of walk through thinking, I don't really need him. I'm okay. I got this. I don't, I don't need him. But when you go through a season where you're hurting, where you're struggling, you need him so much. And, and the reality is we need him even when we're not going through a storm. I've heard a flight attendant say before, um, you know, when you're on the plane and they give you those safety instructions, like hope in your car, or, like maybe you're that person, you're scared to fly and you're like, okay, how do I do this? But I feel like most of the time people are still kind of talking. They're not really paying attention to what happens, but I heard, heard one say one time, but you let those safety masks fall and all of a sudden, do I, do I put two on? Is there a flotation device? Do I put it on my kid first? Because they're terrified. They want to listen, right? They want to hear. They want to know the instructions because they're uncomfortable. 
One of the things I'd like to encourage you with today in that is that when you're in the middle of a storm, if you're in the middle of a storm, don't miss an opportunity to hear the voice of God in a way that you would have never heard it had he allowed things to be calm in your life. See, Jesus loves us enough to let us go through storms. And maybe that's a backwards way of thinking. You're like, you are nuts. He loves us and he wants us to go through these storms. Number three is this, that God's calling is greater than my comfort. And sometimes these storms are kind of a calling in our life. One of the biggest things, the biggest pills for me to swallow um, is that God's biggest desire for my life was not for me to be as comfortable as possible. He didn't say, take up your mattress and follow me. He said, take up your cross and follow me. If we look in Matthew 14, 27 to 29, Jesus called Peter out of his comfort zone and into the unknown. 27 says, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat and he walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Ask yourself this question, where in the scriptures did God ever ask anything, anybody to do anything that was easy or made sense? However, his calling to these things means he's going to see us through it because he always finishes what he begins. Philippians 1.6 says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We're going to look there again at Matthew 14, 28 says, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, which by the way, Peter, he just said it was him. He said, it is I. If it's you, Peter asked. So at this point, Peter's pretty skeptical in the storm. Sometimes you're skeptical. Sometimes you're like, I don't know. I don't know if that's God's voice. I don't, I don't really know what I'm listening for. I, I I got questions. Peter continues and said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And he replies, come. He says, all right, if you want to do this, let's go. Come on. He said it in just one word. He didn't say, okay, take your time, breathe, make sure your legs aren't shaky. You can't be nervous. You've got to look at me. He didn't give him instructions. He simply said, come. And I would ask you today, what is your one word? Maybe for you it's forgive. Repent, confess, give, stop. See, in our storm, we have this opportunity to put in the faith what we said we believed in the first place. Apart from the storm, Peter doesn't have this opportunity. See, this storm provides this opportunity for you and I to follow Jesus closer and ultimately have an experience with him that we would have never had apart from this storm that's in our lives. I don't know what your word is, but Jesus is going to speak in the storm and that word is an opportunity for us to grow and be drawn closer to Jesus. Continues in Matthew, then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. So if at this point we're giving MVPs out for like MVP, disciple of the year, we're giving it to Peter until we get to verse 30. Because he was the only one, right? He was the only one who got out of the boat and did it. But verse 30 says, when he saw the wind, 
which have you ever seen wind? You got to look really hard to see wind, but obviously Peter saw the wind. When he saw the wind, he was afraid and he began to sink and he, he tried to do it all by himself, right? No. He began to sink and immediately he cried out, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. In that opportunity, he realized that you can't make it through by yourself. And we have to realize that. In our storms, we cannot do life alone. Sometimes people blow my mind. Here's a Justin story for you. Nobody's going to want to admit it, but um, I'll, say, I'll admit it for Justin. He will not ask for directions and he will not ask for help like with a car. And he is not a car guy. So he's like a lot of men, I think, and your car like has a problem. Maybe you're on the side of the road and you pull your hood up thinking that makes it look like you know, right? And like someone stops by who is a car guy and is like, hey, you good? Oh, I'm good. It's the calibration of the, I don't even know about this stuff. But how many of you, that's your thing? Like I blow my mind too. Like I don't ask for help. We don't ask for help. And, and so Mr. Mr. Smith, who came to help, he just went on by because you already know. Justin already knows what's wrong with the car. And we're just sitting in the car like, are you kidding me right now? What, what were you thinking? You have no clue what you're doing. Sometimes storms are reminders for us from Jesus that you cannot do it by yourself. And maybe Mr. Smith was that reminder that God put there. Maybe your neighbor was that reminder. Maybe somebody you met at church Maybe a mom who was playing at the park with you the other day was that little reminder that you can't do this stuff alone. We say it here, you cannot do life alone. Peter realized that he couldn't do it alone because I'm sure that as Peter's walking across the lake, he's feeling pretty good about himself, but all of a sudden he starts to sink and he realizes, I can't do this. Maybe you realize, maybe you're starting to realize, I can't do this by myself. And there's only one phrase that you could say and it's, Lord, save me. Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you're in the middle of a storm and you're sinking and you feel like it's all so bad. It's about to go down really fast. And there's three words that I would encourage you that you need to pray today. And it is, Lord, save me. I'm in the middle of a storm right now. Lord, save me. My kids are driving me nuts. Lord, save me. I'm about to lose my job. Lord, save me. I feel like I'm alone and nobody is ever going to notice me. Lord, save me. Those three words are so powerful. And the reason why is because what it says in this next verse, in verse 31, it says, immediately. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and he caught him. Jesus didn't say to him, no, I'm gonna let you swim for a little while, Peter. I'm, I'm gonna make you wait it out. I'm gonna... I'm going to say to you, you should have been looking at me. No, he immediately reaches out his hand and he caught him. I've heard this story taught a lot of times and, and this next point, Jesus says, you have little faith. And I've heard it preached at like, you have little faith, like get on, getting on to Peter. You have little faith. But I imagine that Jesus was kind of laughing. Like, why didn't you have little faith? Why didn't you see me? Why didn't you recognize me? Why did you doubt me? Come on. I had you all along. I have had you all along and I still have you all along. And it was in that moment that Peter realized I need the Lord to save me. 
Don't miss this part. The storm was still going on this whole entire time. But the difference in this story and the storm was that Jesus had him by the hand during the storm. And that was the difference maker. Your storm is not necessarily going to stop. But if you can just reach out, the Lord is waiting for you to reach out. He wants to save you through that storm. It doesn't mean everything's going to get fixed. But when you have him there with you, it changes the game for that storm. It changes the outcome for that storm. This next point I want to make is that we is greater than me. We is greater than me. I've said it, I'll say it again, is that we cannot do life alone. Galatians 6.2 reminds us that we're to bear one another's burdens. It says, carry each other's burdens. And in this, you will fulfill the law of Christ. James 5.16 says we should confess to each other. Also often, our problems would become miracles if we had the faith to ask for help. Pride. Swallow it. If we'd swallow that pride and ask for help, James 5.16 says we should confess to each other. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And I love this in Hebrews, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. It says we should encourage and spur one another on. How many of you played on sports teams or maybe you currently play on sports teams? Like maybe high school, you played on sports team. Raise your hand if you, if you played sports. How many of you were on a team that like nobody was encouraging ever? You can remember a team that you were like, I could not wait to get off that team because when I missed, like I got in the dugout or I, I got on the sidelines and nobody like pat me on the back or said, oh, it's all right, you'll get it next time. Maybe you've been on a team like that. But how many of you can think of a team that you've been on where maybe you strike out, but you get over there and, and somebody hits you and says, hey, you, you got it next time. You just maybe do this. Maybe they coach you a little bit and tell you these things. They, they encourage you. They spur you on. Verse 24 there says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more you see the day approaching. That's why we have anchor groups. It's hard to spur each other on when you're sitting next to each other on a Sunday morning. This is not the time for you to spur each other on because I will think you're rude. But that's why we get in groups. We got, we got play dates. We got men's groups, ladies groups, couples, families, young adults. We got all the groups and we do that because those are places for us to encourage one another. If you're going through a storm, maybe what you do is you isolate yourself. And isolating yourself and believing that no one cares or no one's going to understand is a lie from the very pit of hell. There are times as followers of Jesus where we need to borrow the strength of others. We're going to look at verse 32 here. And when they climbed into the boat, further proof there that you can't do life alone, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, truly you are the son of God. So I like it. These people have just gone through this storm that nearly took their life. And Jesus shows up and they have this interaction with him that they are never gonna forget. And when they got in the boat, they weren't fist bumping each other. They were like, yeah, Peter, you did it. You got this. They weren't focused on their greatness at this point. They were instead focused on the greatness of Jesus because they realized that the one who was in them, the one who was with them right there 
was greater than anything that they were going through. Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel for more messages like this one.